Welcome to On the Record, the weekly podcast of the Bristol Herald Courier. This is David McGee, and this week I spoke with Bristol, Virginia Mayor Kevin Mumpower about his city council's work on the fiscal 2019-20 budget. We discussed the council's goals, city debt, the landfill, funding for schools, and other items that factor into the spending plan. If you're a Bristol, Virginia taxpayer, it's definitely worth a listen. Also this week, sports editor Brian Woodson reflects on Wise Central's third straight girls basketball state championship. All this week on The Record. This week on The Record, we're talking with Bristol, Virginia Mayor Kevin Mumpower and the mayor of the city council was in the midst of one of its most important jobs of the year, which is developing the budget for the upcoming fiscal year. Um, you want to just talk a little bit about kind of where you guys are? I know you've had a couple of work sessions, so kind of where you guys are in the process. Sure. Yeah, we set up the schedule this year to have several work sessions. So we've done we've done a couple work sessions. We have another one coming up Saturday. Mm-hmm. So we tend to have the work sessions to make sure we can talk openly and get through some of the details of the budget and see what the city manager is recommending to us for each of the departments. So that's kind of where we are in the process now. So each of the departments, including the school system, are starting to show their numbers. So we're starting to look at their data, see what they want to budget for next year. Uh, so as that process goes, we obviously have questions that come up. So they'll, they'll go back and you know, look at the numbers again and come back and answer the questions so that we can start to finalize the, the budget. Sometime, I'm hoping uh, mid to late April, we can start to get pretty close to mm-hmm. what we think is going to be the final budget and then uh, vote and approve on what that is in May. We don't want to wait till June, the last minute, like we have in previous years. So hopefully we can get this wrapped up in the middle of May, be pass it, be done with it, and uh, we'll know what to do financially next year. So as part of the, as far as the budget, you know, the my philosophy is pretty much the same as it has been. We want to make sure we're, we have conservative estimates on the top revenue line. We don't want to overestimate the revenues, right, and think we're going to have revenues coming in that we don't really know are true uh, and have any historical uh, facts to back it up. So we want to make sure we're conservative on the revenues. So what comes in is what we know we can count on. Let me stop you right there. For, for people who maybe don't understand the budget process, why is it important that that the numbers that, that do come in are, are about what you expect them to be, that, that you're not out of balance that way? Okay, we have to have a structurally balanced budget. So whatever revenues we actually have or expect to have, the, the expenses and costs have to equally line up to that. It can't be, we can't have a deficit over or under. So we have to structurally balance the budget. So it's very important you start at the top revenue line and you make sure you understand that the revenues that you can count on, what are they? So we've had difficulty over the last couple of years and we still have difficulty of estimating precisely the revenues. That's one of the difficulties with doing municipal budgets. So mm-hmm. we're going to eventually need to talk to the state legislatures and say, you know, look, something's going to have to change because the commissioner of revenue is locked down legally from providing proprietary revenue tax information to us, but we have to come up with some process that's different. So at least in general terms, we know that we have tax revenue that the state knows about, that mm-hmm. the revenue uh, commissioner can tell us you can count on that without giving away any company information or proprietary information. And we've had a hard time getting that kind of information. So, and that's really important because you're getting taxes from hotels and, and restaurants for meals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we know exactly what the real estate taxes are. That's one of the few things we know precisely what the, what the real mm-hmm. estate tax is. We know precisely what the property tax is going to be. Mm-hmm. But the big unknowns are lodging, 
meal tax, mm-hmm. the sales and use tax, you sure. know, all that goes through the state and then right. comes back to the city. Well, unless the state and the Commission of Revenue can tell us, you can count on this pretty closely within a percent or two, mm-hmm. then we really know what our revenues are. And that's been the piece that's been hard to get. So we've had to kind of do our own estimation. And that's risky. You know, when you don't have the commissioner revenue and people that know the numbers figuring that out, and you've got the city manager and the council members and other people trying to do the best they can to estimate that revenue line, mm-hmm. that's risky. You can miss that. Mm-hmm. So we've had a lot of discussions with the city manager saying, you know, because it's risky and we don't have all of the picture of what's going on on the tax side, we've got to be very conservative with our revenue estimates. Mm-hmm. We don't. We definitely don't want to be too aggressive and then miss it because mm-hmm. then we're in trouble. We don't have revenues to cover costs. So that's why we're trying to be real conservative. Back it up, something mm-hmm. that says even if we missed it by 5 or 10%, mm-hmm. we know we're still okay. And that's what we did last year. And in fact, it worked out okay because it looks like revenues are tracking a little higher than what we estimated. So we were conservative and they're coming in with a little better uh, revenue amount, and we did it on purpose. Mm -hmm. So that was a good strategy. So we're running kind of a revenue surplus this year. So once you figure out that number, the revenue side, Mm -hmm. now it comes down to all the department heads and and the school system and the landfill and everybody giving the city manager all the details of all the costs that go with each one of those departments so that then he can look at that and make recommendations to council on what each department funding should look like. Mm-hmm. And then we roll all that up to make sure those funds are equal to the revenue funds, that the expense outtake is equal to the revenue intake. And that's kind of the point in time where you go, what do we got? Do we have a structurally balanced budget? If everything's balanced, we don't have any big issues really to talk about. Then it's just a matter of, does this stuff look reasonable and make sense? Does anything need to go up or down? Can we still stay balanced? That kind of discussion. But when you go look at that, if it comes out that those departments roll up more than the revenue, then what do you do? You back to, we can't afford this. The revenues are not matching the expenses. So we're going to have to pull back some of these departments and some of these you know, mm-hmm. recommended levels somehow. And we've always had to do that. So it's always been up to now when you add up all the departments and all the requests for expenses, they've always been way more than what revenues you can count on. So that's why we've had to come back and get into some pretty tough discussions, right, in council chambers about we are going to have to look at cutting departments and cutting this and cutting that because we don't have the revenues to support the expenses, right? Exactly. And that's the way the process works. So it'd be easy if it was the other way around and you had so much revenue that you know yep. it, it didn't matter and they were, you were always balanced and you could put money aside. And that's, that's where we want to get to. So you want to get to where you got revenues and maybe 15 to 20% of gap there, even with expenses at uh, a high enough amount where they can do everything they need to do and then you can set money aside. That's where we want to be, but we're not there. So we're kind of nip and tuck. Can we cover our costs or not? And that's been the difficulty. So you're you're not there yet. Obviously, the city has come from some very bad financial straits to a, a position where you're a little bit better off. It's not quite as tense and it's not quite as tight as it was. So what are the goals for the council 
as you look at this budget and then you look forward into the next year? What are maybe three, four, five goals that the okay, council so has? Okay, the so budget, the budget goals are really simple. First, first goal is we have to structurally balance it. Right. The next goal within that budget is we got to make sure that we have the money that we need to set aside to cover debt service, right? But debt service is part of the budget process. So if we structurally balance it, we should have money in there to cover the debt service. Mm-hmm. But then we want to make sure that if we can, we have a little bit of extra money that one of the goals is to set aside some money in some restricted funds. So as an example, you know, we upped the real estate tax. The city council did. I think that was prior to 2016. They increased the real estate tax so we could build up the restricted unassigned fund balance. Mm-hmm. And that means that's, that's the basic account. That's the savings account for the city, that the city draws on those funds to pay the bills. And they had let that account go down to almost nothing. So between... Tax collection in June and tax collection in December, they didn't have enough unassigned fund balance on hand to pay the bills. So guess what? They had to go out and borrow money to pay the light bill, to pay the salaries, and they borrowed the money at market interest rates. So you're basically borrowing money to pay your bills. That's not a good practice. So we had to build up the reserve fund. The way they did it was increase real estate taxes to build that reserve fund up. And one of the goals is to is to continue to make sure our reserve fund is at the threshold we've established. And we established that in the financial policies we approved mm-hmm. just a few months ago. We said we want to always keep about 18% of the total revenue amount in this unrestricted, uh, um, this restricted uh, reserve fund, right? Mm-hmm. And we have hit that threshold. So we have, over the last two years, we've built that fund up to where now we're at about $14.5 million of cash on hand for the city. But of that 14 and a half, right, when you take the revenue of $55 million and multiply by the 18% mm-hmm. goal, we don't need $14.5 million to cover that threshold. Mm-hmm. It's less than that. It's like 10 or $11 million. So we got plenty of money sitting there to cover us from... Tax intake to tax intake, you know, January to June, June to December, mm-hmm. so we don't have to borrow money. Right. But we can't let that account go down. So that's one of the goals in this budget is to keep that threshold and make sure we don't do anything to disturb that amount of money. The other goal is the city has not ever put money aside for capital projects, which include new police cars, new fire trucks, new school buildings, everything that you got to spend that's a capital item to maintain buildings and equipment, they've just been running day to day. So the city hasn't had any money even to plan for that or buy those things with cash. So they've had to go out and do things like capital lease for police cars, which you don't really want to do unless you have to. And So now what we want to do, that we're getting a little bit of cash built up and we're covering our financial policies, it's set aside a certain amount for capital. Mm-hmm. That's restricted for capital. Now we'll have a discussion about how to do that because we haven't established that yet. So there's a couple ways of doing that. We set up a capital fund for public safety. Mm-hmm. That money just goes for public safety, police, cars, fire. Another account would be capital funds just for the school system. So you'd put money in that school fund account and it's dedicated just for the school system. It's restricted. It can't be used for any purpose. Mm-hmm. It's not like Social Security where they put it in there and they steal from it. It's restricted <laughs> right. for that purpose. Right. So you put a half a million in there, that's all that can be used for. So that allows us to then start building up those accounts just like we did the 
unassigned fund balance, start building those accounts up. So now we've got accounts to where we can now plan for capital projects two and three and five years in the future. See, now that's good planning. That puts the city in a very solid position because we know we have the money, we're building the money up, and we're planning how to spend it. So now the planning how to spend it against those restricted accounts is one of the other goals. We've got to get really good at defining why we need the money and what the, what the reasons are and the justification and that we have proper return on investment to use those funds. Mm-hmm. right? So you don't want to spend $100,000 on a new air conditioning system for a building that's going to tear up in six months and you've got to do it again. You want to, you know, that's a, an example, but you want to make sure you've got procedures in place so when we go forward, we're using those funds very responsibly, mm-hmm. right? We're just not buying the like-to-have stuff. And honestly, the city's done that in the past. They bought a lot of like-to-have, but not stuff they really need. Mm-hmm. And we can't do that because that gets you in financial trouble. So that's one of the goals. Set up good, solid accounts for capital, build them up, and apply the funds properly, right? And so once you do that, then you're looking at, we got to take care of the employee base. We've got to take care of the future of the city. really depends on how well the staffing and the employees are taken care of, both in the school system and in the city finances or city departments. So what can we do to help their salaries increase their pay raises? Because these folks hadn't had pay raises for several years. And that's wrong, right? That, that You can't compete and continue to keep good people to do what, what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm unless you do something. So we're going to look at what we can do, right, to give those staff members uh, an increase. We don't know what that percent will be because it all depend on, you know, how much money we're kind of left with so we know we've covered our basic expenses. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the goals, though. What can we do to apply some salary increases to the city staffing? Um, and so after, after that, if there's uh, money, the only other account we want to try to set up, which we, we kind of do it over in the, in the finance expense side, is really set up another account for debt service. I mean, almost a restricted fund mm-hmm. just for this long-term debt that the city's looking at, right? So if you keep it over here in another account, the general fund and, you know, stuff, and then you got to subsidize like the landfill or something, and then all of a sudden you look, and that's a million dollars lower than what you thought, and then you don't have the money to pay, you know, some of your other debt. So mm-hmm. that's not really a good process. So we want to say, can we set up another restricted fund account for just debt service payments? Because we got the falls, you know, that's that refinancing we did is going to add you know, about 2.4, 2.5 million of more debt service, you know, not next year, but, you know, as we look out in year three and four, you know, we can't cover that, so it's starting to, mm-hmm. it's starting to be, but <clears throat> the job that we've got to do is develop the falls, make sure we continue to put businesses up there so we're covering that, mm-hmm. but just in case we don't cover it by the development of the falls, we got to start putting some money aside so it's there to pay those debt service bills, right? Right. So, I don't. That was a long-winded discussion that I just had, but you can see that our goal is to structurally balance and then start putting money aside to, so the city's got the ability to pay every single obligation we have, and then after that, if there is money left over, and there's a chance. I mean, we're. We're actually looking at revenues exceeding what our expectations were. If that continues to happen, 
if we receive some other cash from other uh, places that we're not expecting, and there's available cash for whatever reason, now we're going to start looking at what debt and what bonds we can start paying down or paying early and start start driving this debt load south. We got to drive it down. And there's a and there's a few bonds and few things that that have a call date on them. In other words, you could pay them off, mm -hmm. be done with it, not have to absorb the interest rates. There's not a lot of those because we you know, we refinanced a big portion of them, but there's still a few of those. So mm -hmm. if we, you know, if we get left with two or three or four million somewhere, we might we might take and apply some of that against some of those and just get them off the books, pay them off, be done with it. And then I think the other goal is, and people probably don't know this, and it leads into the landfill discussion, but there's things that are cost items that we have not been setting money aside for. And the big one is the landfill closure. So the landfill closure on the old landfill, right, which is right. already capped and closed, is something like six million dollars, but you don't have to pay the six immediately, right? You got to take about three million of that, right, mm -hmm. to pay the initial closing it, get it uh, prepared for monitoring over a thirty-year time period. You take right. three of that six, pay it immediately to do all that prep work, and then you have to pay the other three million over a thirty-year time period, right? So that divides out. Mm -hmm. I think. What's that divided out? Half a million a year or something. something like so, that, yeah. so you got to set that money aside. So you've got that money to pay to monitor that closure. Mm -hmm. And that's just for the old landfill. Right. And now we're not setting money aside, or they've never set money aside for the current landfill. Right. So the current landfill closure cost is expected to be about 12 to 13 million. So again, you take that 12 or 13 million, you take about 6 million of that, you'd have to immediately pay that once the landfill gets full and we're expecting that to be 25 to 30 years say, out. That's like 25 30 years right, right out and then after that you monitor it for 30 years right? right so but 30 years goes by pretty quick right we woke up 30 years and, and said why do we need new schools as an example right so 30 years mm -hmm. goes by faster than people think so we've got to set start setting money aside for the land closure for the closure of that current landfill and so you take $13 million and divide and start dividing that out, mm -hmm. you know, that's another half a million to three-quarters of a million dollars, right? So now all of a sudden the city should be today setting aside, you know, somewhere in the million to million five range every year, and we call that accruing for it, right? Mm -hmm. The accounting accrues that. In other words, they set it aside, they have it there, it's accrued, you don't touch it. Right. And so as those expenses hit, the money's there and you pay it. You know, so that's another reserve account you could set up, and as you're accruing the money, you're just sliding it over in that restricted account for for landfill closure. So, so that if we could do that, and that's kind of the last, that's the last big item. If we can do everything I just talked about, and that debt service starts to get paid down, and we're accruing for all of our landfill costs, this city just needs to keep executing. I mean, it, it comes down to then just just keeping your eye on the ball and mm -hmm. just keep working to bring businesses in town and do those kinds of things to keep the revenue where it's at and growing, right? right? You're kind of in a good place then. So you can see there's a few things that we still got to do that are that are very important and very risky to the city's financials. So when we had the meeting the other night, so this leads in the school system. And so you probably, you know, you were there and you heard the big discussion and, and I, you know, had to preach a little bit because 
That picture I just described is reality of what we're dealing with. So when the city, um, when the schools come in, right, and they've got their normal annual budget, which, you know, last year was like $6.6 million, mm-hmm. right, 300000 less because the state gave them more money. They were... They were dollar neutral, but we gave right. them three hundred less. So, so now they're wanting seven. So that six six, I think, grew to about seven. So they're wanting four hundred thousand more than what we allocated next year. And then on top of that, they asked for fourteen million plus to do a bunch of things to all the elementary schools, right? right. Which a lot of that stuff's needed, but fourteen million is in addition to anything that we've ever looked at in previous budget cycles. Mm-hmm. So it, I was I was hoping that to that point in time on Tuesday night's council that it would have been obvious to the school board and everybody the the city doesn't have another fourteen million dollars, right, to put against the school. We've got to, we've got to build up into that. You know that's why setting money aside to where mm-hmm. we start doing the things we immediately need to do is really the only thing the city can do. Mm-hmm. So the $14 million is, is just not doable. There's no way to do that. We don't have $14 million. You can look at that $14.5 million cash on hand, but I just described, there's 11 to $12 million that already accounted for. So that doesn't give you much of anything to work with. So now the question becomes, what are we going to do about this whole school discussion, right? So... You know, we we uh, were presented with the with the PPA, so we had uh, an option that the school looked at, did a lot of work. Uh, they put a lot of time into it, and I appreciate all that. Which was one consolidated school. They looked at a property that we wouldn't have to buy, so it was something we already had. Mm-hmm. Put all the schools in one building, don't have to to buy for the construction, but you then lease it over a thirty year time period, and so that lease payment um, I think was thirty six million over thirty years, and to make it budget neutral, which they call it budget neutral, right? They mm-hmm. would have to have they would have to save, right, that annual payment, which right. is about a million two, mm-hmm. a million three a year, in order for it to be budget neutral. Mm-hmm. So when we looked at that, we said, well, there's a couple problems here that's gonna to have to be resolved, right? And so we asked for an attorney general opinion, right, right. on our debt load and whether taking on a PPA program is going to add to the debt load of the city. So mm-hmm. we asked for that. We got the opinion of the Attorney General. We asked for the rating agencies to look at whether or not that extra lease payment and debt obligation over a 30-year time period will be looked at from additional debt standpoint and affect mm-hmm. our credit rating and potentially the interest rates on the open market that we would have to pop pay for if we went out for any kind of bond. So mm-hmm. we asked for that, right? right? And then we asked for details around if that option doesn't work, what other options do we have? And that's what each of the schools with all the list of, you know, things we need to do are other options, right? Mm-hmm. So so there was a number of things we looked at to where we could see the entire picture. If you do this, can we do it? What's the state say from a legal standpoint? What's the rating agency say? What's those payments? So when we did that whole review, some some concerns came up, and they're real concerns. And one of the concerns was, yeah, it may not be legal debt. So so the state opined that it wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't designated as legal debt, but it was clearly moral debt. You know, it it was that's moral debt obligation. Well, moral debt 
push comes to shove, if you can't pay, if you can't pay the payment, you don't have to pay it, right? You're not legally required to pay it, mm-hmm. but you know you've basically committed under contract. To your, pay your name's the, on it. Your name's on it. Mm-hmm. The city's name's on that. The school system's name's on it, and you've agreed to pay that. So it, it's almost like if you didn't pay that, it's a moral obligation. You've backed out, and you've not, you've not stood behind your word, right? So. People that aren't in the city that are investors and people that would give the city or buy bonds or revenue bonds, or they look at how we stand behind what we do. Mm-hmm. So it being a moral obligation debt doesn't mean you can get away with not paying it and there not be very negative financial implications. So if something was to happen where we got in a position, you know, five or ten years from now and couldn't make that lease payment or even you know, not fully, but even missed, you know, two, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars of it, right? If you didn't miss all of it, and all of a sudden we were in the rears, right, mm-hmm. on our lease payment, you know, we're missing our moral obligation, right, to pay that. And so everybody's going to see that. The rating ain't going to see it. Everybody's going to know the mm-hmm. city's not paying their required lease payments. Mm-hmm. And you know as well as I do, that's going to look very negative on the city. So that was a very big risk item, right? And it's and it's all opinion and it's all discussion and it's all risk, but it's real risk. So things could happen mm-hmm. that doesn't allow you to make those payments. Well the city's not in a position to take those risks, right? That's why they're not I said we have to be risk averse. If we had lots of money, if we only had thirty million in debt and we had another seventy million open credit line, we wouldn't have to be as risk averse. Right, we we could make some errors and stumble and and miss some cost estimates a little bit by a million dollars, and it wouldn't affect us. But that's not where we are. We've got basically our credit card maxed out. Mm-hmm. We can't make any mistakes, and if we make any mistakes, something's not getting paid. Mm-hmm. Either the bonds on the falls isn't getting paid, or the current bonds on the school system's not getting paid, or the current bonds on the landfill. Something's not going to get paid. Mm-hmm. Well. We can't put the city in that position. So one of the big problems with that PPA was it wasn't conservative enough. We were too risky at what could happen and take the chance of putting the city in that predicament. That was not a position I could sleep at night and say that was the right thing to do. That was a problem. The other problem was when you read the rating agency, what they said about taking all this debt, they also talked about moral obligation, and there was no guarantee that when they looked at the current city's debt load and the fact that they took on this extra capital lease mm-hmm. for the school system, that the finance committees at those rating agencies wouldn't look at that and take that into consideration when they set the bond rates. So when they start to say stuff like that means you know, their eyebrows are going up, they're, they're seeing red flags now that you're out obligating yourself to things that even though legally you're not obligated to it, that can definitely be considered and that might be something that takes the bond ratings and has to adjust them because they see that as something you're going to have to stand beside without negative financial implications and if you don't, you know, your other interest rates might go up and so your credit agency is going to affect that. So if you went and got a loan for your house and the bank felt like you're not a reliable, trustworthy person to pay your mm-hmm. to pay your house payment. They're going to charge you a higher percentage, right, on that interest 
to, to assume that risk. Right. And that's the same thing would happen to the city. We can't take on that risk. We have to have the very best percent uh, interest rate on the market. We've got to be very conservative. But that was, that was two of the big problems with that PPA. And the other problem was there was a lot of unknown costs in there potentially could occur that we didn't know about. There mm -hmm. was a lot of road work need to be done. There was a lot of logistic infrastructure need to be done. You know, mm -hmm. there was lots of things that there were not enough provisions and details and estimation, hard numbers to say there's no way that this thing will ever exceed that annual 1.2 million or 1.4 million annual payment. So okay. they talked about lots of other costs. Well, you can't, we're not in a position again to take those risks. Right. It has to be very much certain for us. And I guess when I start preaching like Tuesday night, that's what I'm trying to say. We've, we're having to look at things in a level of detail that we've never had to look for. And it's making departments and the school system and everybody uncomfortable to have to do that. Well, unfortunately, that's what we got to do to make sure we protect where this city is and where it's going. Because we can't make any financial mistakes. We're talking again with uh, Bristol, Virginia Mayor Kevin Mumpower here on the record. Uh, you alluded to the landfill uh, a little while ago. We, we talked about that just briefly, but if you would just kind of summarize that the city has a tremendous amount of debt associated with the landfill, and you guys have, have struggled to, to make the, the income balance with the expenses. So kind of where are you guys on the landfill? Well, we were, we're studying the landfill um, almost one or two times a week, several hours. We're getting all the numbers together. We've had multiple meetings now uh, outside of city council. We're looking at this from every angle. So he, the big picture is this. So the landfill got put in operation back in 98, and in order to get the landfill set up, pay all the capital to do that, put the liners in, and make that thing operational, from 1998 to 2018, they absorbed $35 million worth of debt to do that, right? So over a 20-year time period, 35 divided by 20, right? Mm -hmm. A million five roughly, right? Every year was going in to, to the capital requirements of that landfill to keep it operational, right? The problem was, as the trash came in from residence collection and going in the landfill, and then the commercial haulers coming in from every county around and every city that does business up there and putting their trash in, the rates that we we're charging was not covering the operating expenses and the debt load. So over time, that number grew to where it's a $35 million problem, and it's continuing to grow. So we're still missing a gap of about a million to two million dollars every year to cover the landfill from the rates that we charge mm -hmm. to put the trash in. Well, if you can't do that from '98 to 2018, like I said the other night, 35 million has cost us two schools. Go up there to the landfill and stand at the edge and look at the trash. There's two schools sitting in there. So we should never have done the landfill. The analysis was not done to the detail. I'm asking everything to be done so that we don't make those mistakes again. That cost us two schools. So now if we don't deal with it and we continue to allow it to grow at another million five to two every year over five years, mm -hmm. what's that number? Right? Pretty soon you're getting to another school. Mm -hmm. Right? So we're going to wake up in 2030 and we've thrown another school in the trash dump. Right? We can't do that. So if we want a new school and we want new capital, 
we've got to solve the landfill. So one of the problems we've got to deal with is what rates are we going to require the landfill to go up to and we, and we can't go up to cover the entire cost. But we're going to have to start moving up to stay within the market in reasonable amounts to start closing that delta. And then what else are we going to do to get that million five gap to two million down to something that's manageable? And when we went through the last couple budget cycles, we said that gap's only half a million dollars, right? Which that's just true. But you know what wasn't in that number? The closure costs on the old landfill and the closure costs on the current landfill, right? And the fact that that liner is having to be replaced sooner than everybody anticipated. Mm -hmm. We thought $2 million is going to last three years, and it's lasting maybe two to two and a half years. Mm. So we're having to spend more money or set aside more money every year for the liner. So just to cover the liner and the debt service up there is based on the tonnage going in today. We need $5 a ton. There's 174,000 tons, so you can do the math. So it's it's $5 a ton to cover the liner. It's $6 a ton to cover the debt service. So it takes $11 a ton just to cut, you know, just to cover those kinds of mm-hmm. of expenses. And you know, that that kind of that kind of number is a problem. So you got to figure out how to deal with that, right? So we got then you got salaries on top of that, then you got capital equipment. Then mm-hmm. you know, before you know it, you're not charged enough to cover the line or the cap and all that stuff. So that's why we're generating this big this big gap. And guess how that gap's being covered? We're taking money from the normal general fund coming mm-hmm. in from all the citizens and we're scooting it over to the landfill to pay that difference. So everybody that lives in Bristol now is paying for this problem in the landfill via real estate taxes, property taxes, and all that. And that's not right. That is not the way you do it. So we're trying to figure out what are we going to do to make that Landfill, which is an enterprise zone, mm-hmm. which means it's supposed to be run like a business and it's supposed to at least break even. What are we going to do to break it even? We have to break it even, or it doesn't need to be an enterprise zone. So what are we doing? Well, we went out with some RFPs. We're trying to sell it. Does anybody want to buy it? We went out with RFPs. So that stuff's starting to come in. Who's interested in buying it? Mm-hmm. So far, the picture's not good, right? <laughs> yeah. And you could imagine, if you if I said, David, you want to go buy that landfill? And once you looked at the balance sheet and the debt service, you'd say, I'm not interested in that landfill. And I told them before they went, even went out, I said, there's no way anybody's going to be interested in that landfill. There, there's no possible way because... You can't I mean, make enough. You, you can't make enough money on it to cover the debt. So even if you sold it, we're going to be stuck with the debt, I mean, nobody, they'll say, well, they might say, yeah, we'll buy it, but we're not taking any of that debt on. So now you got to figure out, well, is that, is that a better option than what we're doing today? And it might be to say, sell to somebody and just look at, just pay the debt service and don't worry about it. But mm-hmm. then the taxpayers are subsidizing that, right? Mm-hmm. Now the general fund. Mm-hmm. So, so there's several options I think you're going to hear Saturday that, that we're looking at. And so one option was obviously to sell it, right? Another, another option would be, Let's let's take a reasonable increase in some of the rates, both both the residential side and the commercial side, to see what we can do at least this year, and then look at maybe doing the same thing next year. So we're at least increasing the rates to help cover the costs. That's an option, right? Mm-hmm. Another option is, you know, are there are there certain haulers coming in there, or certain types of trash that's just that's just not priced right? Because if you look at our rate structure, we got all kinds of different types of trash going into the landfill. We got tires that are charged at a different rate 
right? You got just mm -hmm. common trash that goes in. Then you got brush and wood chips and you know, mm -hmm. so there's a number of different items. And even there's even differences in costs for you know residential and commercial and even um, nonprofits. So nonprofits, you know, that have mm -hmm. trash pickup pay a different rate. So there's a, like a two-sided sheet of paper that shows you all the different types of trash and all the different customers and all the different rates. So we're having to go through every bit of that to see, you know, is any of this out of line to where we need to go up a little bit and what, what makes sense? So we're trying to sort that out. So one of the options is we got to take the rates and then we got to adjust them, right? we got to adjust them to where they make sense. And we that's going to be very very risky for us because you got to be careful how you do that. You can't adjust them too much to where you scare current customers and you do things that's that's too much going up, right? Because right? then you can run them off and right. revenues go down. So, <clears throat> and so we might we might figure that out and be be really good at how we analyze that. So that's kind of what we're going through the strategy, the thought process of how you would do that. And then there's some other out of the box options we've even talked about for the landfill as an example of. We got a bunch of land up there. What do we got to do to maybe open up a couple another small pits where you could you could take the you could take the relief off the current landfill, put it in this other pit, let it let it percolate and settle, mm. right? And stay off of this landfill and then once that one has come up a little bit, then you come back to this one and add and percolate to it. So what that does is you know, it helps in your settlement and your anaerobic breakdown, and it helps with the gas creation up the landfill because we're trying to pull gas off, you know, to get money out of that, which that's not working very well because we're just putting so much trash in there at once, and the rain and the water and everything is not allowing, you know, the anaerobic process to be done properly. So, so there's those kinds of options of what can we do to maybe take stress relief pressure off of how we're using the current landfill mm -hmm. and do it a different way. We're also, an option is, is there other technology out there that we can look at to maybe get away from liners? Can we get away from liners? Can we settle the landfill? Can we let the landfill settle and be loaded in a different way and do something different on the liners so we start to take away the cost of, of the current picture that we have? Mm -hmm. And we're not sure if there's any answers to that, but we're looking at that as an option. And another option, which was very creative, I thought we talked about, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, electrical co-ops out there, and if you know what a co-op is, mm -hmm. there's a bunch of uh, municipal counties or cities and entities get together and they form a co-op, and the way a co-op works is they all they all agree to a, a rate structure, they all agree to share costs, and they have a they have a big asset here and in the in the electrical co-op world, they have a big electrical grid, and mm. they all need that electricity. Mm. But they don't put the burden of everything that's cost-wise and stuff on one entity that's driving it, so they all form this big co-op, right? Mm -hmm. And then they share the costs and they share the revenues and all that goes into that based on how they use that asset. So uh, we talked about one of the options might be to look at the look at the landfill as a, as a landfill co-op. You know, mm. it should be kind of like a... You know, kind of like a regional jail concept, right? But it'd be a regional landfill that maybe maybe we could get Washington County and the city of Norton and Wise and Avery County. You know, we get everybody around us, and some of those are already using the landfill. Mm -hmm. But even go even get more folks to say, well, yeah, let's come let's come and join a co-op. Let's let's make this thing work because we you know we all need this landfill for you know the next twenty five to thirty five years. Mm -hmm. So let's form a co-op. Let's see what 
what everybody uh, needs as far as keeping their costs in line and and make it a win-win and work for everybody. Mm -hmm. Because as far as I know, trash is not going to go away. So we're going to still generate trash, and those places generate trash. And so maybe we can come up with a concept there that that would you know change the cost structure. You know, change the mm-hmm. change that revenue cost balance that's causing us all the problems by creating a co-op. Uh, and so that's uh, that's a concept now. Whether that work or not, it's you know anybody's guess. But you obviously can see we're looking at all the possible options. So we're saying there's multiple sides of this Rubik's Cube on the landfill. There's every side is different. How can we look at this landfill in a much different way than we've ever thought about mm-hmm. and come up with a combination of options or combination of solutions to take care of this landfill cost problem? Mayor Kevin Mumpower, you guys obviously have your work cut out for you over the next next few weeks and 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 next couple of months as you get this budget good good luck to you and and we'll continue to follow your progress well, i appreciate the time i know i'm a long talker but i thought all the information was important so I, I'm glad I, you had I, I think that i think the citizens probably will agree with you appreciate right. the explanation thanks david thanks david thanks david thanks david next up here's brian woodson with the sports roundup Welcome to the weekly podcast by the Bristol Herald Courier Sports Department. This is Brian Woodson, the sports editor here at Bristol. My podcast today will be a tribute to the Wise County Central Lady Warriors, who won the state championship for a third time and fifth time in six years. Here's an editorial I wrote about them. Hope you'll enjoy it. There is something to be said for excellence. Then try doing it all over again and again and again. That is what the Wise County Central Warriors continue to do year after year after year. When the Wise County Central girls basketball team dominated Greensville County 57-34 last Saturday in Richmond, the Warriors were crowned VHSL Class 2 state champions again. It has become habit. The girls basketball season seems to always end in Richmond for the Warriors in March. This wasn't just another victory for the Warriors. This was Wise Central's third straight Class 2 state championship an amazing fifth in the last six years. In a sports world where dynasty is a word thrown around more than a three-point shot, this was indeed the stuff of dynasties. Prior to this season, the Wyatt Central coach and Virginia High School League Hall of Fame member Robin Dotson provided a challenge to his club. Be legendary was our theme starting this year, said Dotson, following Wyatt Central's grounding of the Eagles. These girls are truly legendary, indeed. It wasn't like Wyatt Central played its best game last Saturday. They only shot 26% from the field, but the Eagles made just 23%, turned it over 16 times, and were out rebounded by seven. Yet there was never really any doubt. Wyatt Central led 18-13 after one quarter, then turned on the defense, holding the Eagles to one for 15 shooting over the next eight minutes to take a dominating 30-15 lead at the break. The second half was simply a matter of running out the clock, with five Warriors finishing the game with at least six points in the victory. Not only have the Warriors won three straight t- state titles, but all three state championship games have been lopsided affairs. They beat the Eagles by 23, while at Buffalo got by 21 in 2018, and did it by 16 and 17 against Martinsville. The first two of the five titles in six years were by, were by closer margins, five against Floyd County in 2015 and nine over Gate City in 2014. They lost to Floyd County in the finals in 2013, setting the stage for what has been pure dominance since then. 
The only year the Warriors didn't win it all from 2014 to now was in 16 when fellow Mountain 7 foe Ridgeview took the crown. Four wide central seniors, D. Shanetniks, I know I pronounced that, Brooke Porter, and the cousin duo of Olivia and Brittany Mullins were freshmen on that team, posting a 14-10 record and sitting out the regional high school playoffs. That provided plenty of motivation, and all they did was post an impressive 80-10 and 10 record over the next three seasons, winning three state championships along the way. What was the secret ingredient? There wasn't one. When they come to the gym, you know they mean business, Dotson said. They work. Why Central became just a six-girls program in the modern era to win at least three championships in a row? Joining Perry McClure, who did it in 17 through 19, Princess Ann, who's done it from 2014 to 19, Monican, which did it from 2015 to 17, Cosby from 2014 to 16, and Millbrook from 2010 to 2012. Is the run over? Don't count on it. Winning championships is just part of the fabric of playing for Wise County Central. The biggest emotion is love on this team. They just love each other, said Dotson, who won his first of his six state championships with the perfect 30-0 record for now close J.J. Kelly in 2002. I've not publicly said this, but this bunch would turn on me before they would turn on one of their teammates. That's the love they have for each other. That's been very special. More like legendary. Thank you. On the Record is made possible by David McKee, David Krieger, Delina Matthews, and Brian Woodson. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.